Well, it's a pleasure to be here, church. And let me tell you something. Uh, first of all, I don't take it for granted to stand up and preach anything out of here. I don't take it for granted. It is an honor. It's a privilege. The scripture has lots of warnings and, and uh, kind of advice for people who dare to stand in front of the people of God and preach anything. And you know why? Because this is precious. And you better get it right. It's important. You are important. Actually, it has much more to do with you than the person standing up here. That's why there are warnings in Scripture about a person who dares to teach the people of God. Because God loves you that much. He hates deception. He hates people being confused. He hates people being lost. He loves his church. You are the bride of Christ. And so first and foremost, I want to say I don't take this for granted. It's a big deal to me to get to be here with you today. So thank you. Well, as I pull up my message, let me tell you a little bit about myself and my family. So my, my little girl, Aria, she's in the, in the nursery right now. She's 13 months, and we might hear her through that glass because she's got some awesome pipes. That girl can howl. Uh, Aria, uh, Cody was asking me today, well, where do you come up with the name Aria? And it's kind of a musical term, and it, it means lioness of God, and a, a couple different things. And she's kind of a lion. She can roar. On the way up here today, she was roaring in the back seat. <laughs> praising God in her own way. Uh, she's, she's wonderful, though. Mary was pregnant last time we were here, and so now she's here. You can see what she looks like. And uh, Mary is a social worker, and so uh, a pastor and a teacher, that's what I do, and Mary's a social worker, so like the big bucks, you know what I mean? That's, that's what it's all about. Social work, right? No, here's the thing. God has been so good to us. Well, if you would have told us that we would have picked these professions or been called into these professions and that God would provide for us as well as he has, right, Mary? He has provided well for us. God is so good. We don't have all the toys in the world, and that doesn't matter. God don't care about those toys. He cares about providing for you and providing for your spirit, providing for your family, and I am fulfilled. I live a good life. I got a smoking bride. I got all the things that I, did I say smoking? Yeah, I got a wonderful wife and all the things that I need in this life to be successful. God is good. And so that's a little bit about me. I, I taught preschool for the last two years uh, in correlation with being an assistant pastor. That was interesting. I went from doing teens for about seven years, eight years, to working with three- and four-year-olds. And let me tell you something. I was real intimidated at first. Is who's ever worked a long time with three- and four-year-olds? Yeah, all the mamas in the house have, have worked with three- and four-year-olds. They're pretty similar to teenagers. That's what I found out. <laughs> There's not a lot of difference. Moody, all right, I'll take some of that. There's a little moody and easily excited about things. And so I found out I can do this, and it was fantastic. Uh, I had such a great year, and so many people came to know the Lord this last year. So many people. It's amazing. We're going to talk about witnessing today. We're going to talk about sharing the testimony that you do have. You do have it. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. The name of my message today is called Scandalous. Scandalous. There's been a lot of scandals in the headlines lately. I don't watch a lot of news. We don't own a TV, actually, to tell you the truth. But I still see it. There's been a lot of scandal in the news lately, hasn't there? A lot of scandals. Well, we're going to talk about our scandalous message. And I'm actually going to start with something I've shared very, very few times. And I say that genuinely. I've shared this story very few times. Please listen all the way through this first part of my, my, my story that I'm about to share It'll make more sense why I'm sharing it and what was going on at the end. Just follow with me for a second. Um, so some of you know or you remember from last time that Mary and I met each other 
at Lake Geneva Bible Camp. Some of y'all are going to family camp this year. It's a great place. It's God's country, and God does lots of cool things there. In fact, we met in the old tabernacle right before they tore it down. You remember that, Mary? That was the, the skate park at the time, and I was a little skate park punk, and so I was hanging out in there, and, and I saw Mary coming, walking, and I, I put my skateboard down right away, and I found a seat because I thought maybe this girl will sit by me or something. I don't know. And uh, she came in, and, and then she talked to me. That one did. She's talked to me, and I didn't know what to do about it. But lo and behold, the Lord started doing things. And, uh, you know, we, we ended up going to North Central Bible College together. And that was interesting. And our relationship really started becoming a thing at North Central. Uh, but I got to tell you something, and this is, this is where things get hard. This is where things get dark. As I was getting to know Mary and becoming more interested in her, I was also getting to know someone else and becoming interested in them. Scandalous. Started getting interested in them. And uh, to make a longer story shorter, I started investing time into these two people. A lot of time. And as my investment into one seemed fulfilled in one week, the other one, it was not fulfilled. And more and more time was invested and Mary, being smart, and as, as this relationship started getting more serious and becoming a real uh, dating relationship, she noticed I was easily angered. I was easily frustrated. My temperament wasn't right. My mind wasn't right. And she started asking the right questions about my spirituality. Are things in place? Are things in check? Is something wrong? Hard story to tell. Fast forward all the way into the first year of our marriage. Yes, I said the first year of our marriage. I finally had it out. I don't know about all you, but in your scandals, your personal scandals, because everybody's had one or two of something in their life that's a scandal, it's hard to keep secrets very long if you're going to pursue the Lord at all. Because God shines his light. That's what scripture says, that God shines his light into the heart of man who pursues him, and he exposes and he extracts the icky things that we don't like. We don't want to talk about secrets. It started to happen. I couldn't handle it anymore, and that conviction of the Holy Spirit started to wreck me, and I wasn't happy, and things weren't okay, and so finally I had it out, and I had, I had to sit down with Mary, and I had to talk to her, and I had to sit down with my pastor, and I had to talk to him, and I talked to a couple other mentors in my life, and I had to say the words and I had to explain, somehow I had gotten into this relationship, and I was cheating on Mary with someone named Andrew Shaw. But I was. Anybody else have a first year of marriage like that, where you start to invest too much? It's hard. The first year of marriage is hard. If you haven't picked up on this, I'm talking about myself. I was a selfish young man. And the first year of marriage and our dating relationship was hard because I was trying to choose who to invest in. And I was trying to choose what I would do with myself and how I'd please myself. And when if, I, if I was good to marry one week, then I was selfish and I was upset about myself. I didn't get to serve myself in one way. And, and if I served myself, then she wasn't going to be happy with me. So I was struggling to find that, that right line where you're, you're being the godly man in a relationship. So I took you through a loop a little bit there, right? Some, some of my friends here are thinking, I don't know this story. 
but it's true. And you knew me. You knew me going through these phases of, of this selfishness and this fight to be a godly man. Um, all right, so clearly I've told an allegory of sorts. I've told a story, kind of a, a silly thing. Uh, but let me ask you this question. Isn't a story more personal? Isn't it more raw when people share personal details? When they share the essence, the real stuff, the grit of what was going on, isn't it more real? When you share the scandalous nature of who you were versus in contrast to who you are now, isn't it amazing how that just grips you? You hear a person. It does amazing things for the listener. When people see how dark the night was that you were living in and how bright the day that God has brought you into is, they see that contrast and it does things to people. People can't just hear that and not think about it anymore. It affects them. It infects them. It changes them. It's amazing. I think about details and, and things like this. I think about scripture actually. One of the testaments about scripture is that scripture includes a lot of details. One of the ways that you can say this is true is scripture includes a lot of details you wouldn't want to say about yourself. You wouldn't want to include. Sometimes there's some gory things in here. The scripture is definitely not child friendly in the way that sometimes we pretend it is. If you've ever read Judges, the book of Judges, then you know what I mean. These are not the child fables that we tell. In Judges 3, if you forgot what happens in Judges 3, there's a time, uh, and this happens a lot in Judges, where Israel has been living in sin, and you know how God responds. Israel's supposed to be the missionaries to the world. That's their job. That is their role. They're the called people of God, and they're not living up to it. And so God says, therefore, to deal with your sin slavery problem in your heart, I'm going to let you go into real slavery. These people are going to capture you. Your freedom is going to be taken from you. And during that time, you're going to pursue me. So God's discipline, it says it in the New Testament as well, do not take delight in the Lord's discipline. It's a way of saying, respect the fact that God is going to deal with you, sometimes in a hard way, to produce the most fruit. Well, God does that with Israel frequently. Frequently. They go into slavery. They're freed. They go into slavery. They're freed. They're captured. They're freed. It's so old, and it is the story of us, ultimately. Amen? Somebody know what I mean? Captured and freed. That, uh, that's the Lord. He's gracious with us. Well, one of these times in Judges chapter 3, this has happened. And there's a guy named Ehud. Everybody say Ehud. I just made you say that because it's a fun, different name, isn't it? Ehud is his name. And uh, Ehud, he was a godly man. He was working on it. He was striving. He was fighting to be a godly man. And God used him to deliver Israel once again. And it's a fantastic story. It's a gory story. It's got lots of details. In fact, it's, it's one of the more clever, silly stories that I read in the Old Testament. Ehud has gained kind of the acceptance of the king. Remember, the king is in control of all the Israelites. They are slaves. But he's gained an acceptance and a trustworthy nature there, which it's easy for Christians and believers to do. When you are with the truth, people will believe you, people will trust you. And so he's been allowed to be in the presence of the king in the, the special room. And Ehud has a plan. He's done something that nobody else knows about yet. And he tells the king, hey, hey king, I got to tell you a secret. But all these guys can't hear. It's only for your ears. So tell them to go away. Take a hike. And the king does, and they do. They leave. 
And they lock the doors. And Hood says, okay, can I come up there? I'm going to come tell you something. And he comes up close. And the scripture says that as Ehud got close, what he had done is strapped a sword to the inside of his leg. And he puts the side of his garment and he pulls out that sword and he thrusts it into the gut of this evil king who has been a betrayer and and a warlord, an evil man, taken the Israelites captive. And he throws it into his gut and he doesn't stop at the handle. And I'm going to stop my story because there's more gore there than some of you care for. But what I'm saying is details in the story make it authentic. Amen? Let me tell you something. I'm one of those preachers. You yell at me. You can shout me down. I like it. Details in a story make it authentic. It makes it relatable. And here's the thing. A testimony needs to be personal. It needs to be personal. I have heard people try to share their testimony, and bless them for trying, first of all, but tried to share their testimony. They gave no details. There was nothing of depth in it. And it was the most boring story I'd ever heard. They went to converted me. <laughs> I already believe. Personal. Intriguing. This stuff is intriguing. You got to know it first. That's the truth. And so, therefore, it needs to be relatable. Because some of this stuff is deep. And some of this stuff doesn't make sense to people, right? It's confusing. So it's got to be relatable. These are important things in sharing your testimony. Personal, intriguing, relatable. Details will do those things to people. Today, I want to share with you how you can make your absolutely scandalous testimony something that is personal, relatable, intriguing, and grabs the heart of the person that you're going after right now. Because I'm just going to assume there are people in your life who do not believe. Amen? If not, my sermon ends here. If you, are, if, you, if you don't have any unbelievers in your life, here's my sermon for you. Go meet some unbelievers, for goodness sake. Don't just surround yourself with Christian people. You need to have some of the ungodly within your grasp. That's not my advice. That is a command of Scripture. Do not separate yourself from them in that way. Reach out. So instead of hearing Mr. Andrew's uh, personal philosophy, that's Mr. Andrew is my teacher name, Personal philosophy, you want to hear from the scripture because that's important. Let's turn to Acts together. Acts 22. Acts 22. And most of the time when the preschoolers would say Mr. Andrew, it came out either Mrs. Andrew, Mr. Andrew. Uh, I I had a lot of nicknames. It took a full year, and I was so proud of my kids when they finally could say Mr. Andrew. And it wasn't Mrs., and it wasn't Mr. Mr. Andrew. So that's Acts 22, and we're going to go to verse 6. How you guys doing today? You doing all right out there? It's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? We're in the right place. We're in the right place today. It's good to wake up and know you came to a place where God's going to speak to you. You obeyed God today. Good things are going to happen. That's Acts 22, verse 6. So the backstory here, we're talking about Paul. Paul, who was once called Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians to to the nth degree. He was an excellent persecutor, if I do so, say so myself. He had skill and precision and rage. He had that young man rage. Have you ever met a young man who's got that young man rage? Oh, man. They don't know what to do with it. They're kind of aimless, but they can really put it down. And this guy had that young man rage. He hated the doctrine of Christians. He 
hated them, and with fervency, he persecuted Christians. You can read Acts if you want to know more about that. There are many, many details, but let's get into it. Acts 22, verse 6. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell on the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. You can pull a lot of theology out of that little scripture right there. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light has blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and to hear the words of his mouth. You will be his witness to the men, to all men, of what you have seen and heard. And now, what, you, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another, imprisoning and beating those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. All right, we can pause there. So you pick up something about this. Paul doesn't hide his crimes and his sins against God in his past testimony. You know, one of the things that I think, and this is a theory. Me and Phoebe were just talking about theories. I like theories. Here's my theory, Phoebe. I have a theory that one of the reasons Christians sometimes don't want to share the full details of what happened in the past is because it's still in their present you know what I mean? Mm, that one hits its mark. Some people are still dealing with a sin issue, and they haven't given up. They haven't found exactly the freedom. They know it exists, but they haven't given over to the Lord what they have been fighting for years. That's hard. And a part of our testimony needs to be righteousness. This is something that a lot of young folks don't like to hear or talk about nowadays. Righteousness. It's a hard word for people to understand. Righteousness. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom. Now, obviously, we know that our righteousness comes from the Lord. We, we don't do things that make us righteous, but we did things that made us unrighteous, right? We need to represent the king and his righteousness well, and our testimony shines brighter. But Paul, living a new life, being born again, those words need to be used more often. Born again, that's a powerful phrase that Jesus used when talking to Nicodemus in the dark of night. Born again, meaning a different life. Paul has a different life, and he is able to share the painful details of his testimony and who he was. 
and that makes it powerful. If Paul had just revealed himself as a former Pharisee and a tent maker, you wouldn't be that interested, would you? No, you wouldn't. You would say, oh, he was a Pharisee. Oh, he was a tent maker. Okay. What does it have to do with the testimony of being forgiven of painful sins? When you share your testimony, I bet there are things at an appropriate time, at an appropriate place that you can share that are going to show somebody that this touches your heart and that you have one. <laughs> this is a hard day and age to live in. People are more divided than they've ever been before. And the, the thought, in such a cerebral society, the thought of exposing anything that resides in here is too hard for people. Amen? It's hard for people to reveal things that are actually on their heart. Half of it is because half of society doesn't have a heart. There is so much division. There is so much blackness and evil that's just making itself profoundly visible in our world. Our world is looking more and more like what Revelation describes. That's my, that's my call. Looks a lot like the end times. I just had a phone conversation. Was that yesterday night, Mary, when I was talking to uh, two nights ago? had a conversation with a fellow two nights ago who was real interested in uh, demonology and things like that. And as we're praying on the phone, stuff's flying off the walls and all over the place, and he's being attacked, and the Spirit's talking to me on the phone. You see the symbols of the last days. People are so confused, and they're so interested in anything other than what's real. We see the signs. That's not my, my message today, but I want to tell you, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. What did Jesus say? At that time, you will look and you will see. This is a real thing. He's, he's coming back. That's what I believe. All right, back to the message. So Paul isn't afraid to show how dark the night was and how bright the day is in his life. That's an important thing for you. Make sure that when you share your testimony, you can share those details. Make it personal. Make it relatable. Make it intriguing. John 119. Can we turn to John 119 together? I'll tell you the reason I, I encourage people to turn there, even if it's in your phone, your device, whatever, your Bible. It's really important that we judge the person who speaks to be speaking accurately. There are lots of people that I've trusted in the world, and they've misspoken or they had a moment where they misquoted something, they put something a little out of context. I've seen people on TV who have taken things wildly out of context, and they're dangerous. It is up to the person in the pew listening to make sure that what I'm preaching is accurate to what the Holy Spirit speaks in your heart. Because the great thing about the Holy Spirit is, is we have the gift of discernment if we are baptized believers. That is available. God will speak to you through the Holy Spirit. There will be discernment. I've been sitting in messages before, and the pastor started saying something, and uh, he's a good guy, but he started saying something, and I realized that isn't right. This does not line up with the Scripture. And I went and did my research, and the Holy Spirit was right. It didn't line up. It wasn't good, so I didn't take that home with me. So that's your job. Make sure that what I'm saying lines up with this. John 1.19. John 1.19. So this is uh, John's testimony, actually. Now, this was the testimony of John when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not f fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer so we have something to take back to the ones who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, 
in the words of Isaiah the prophet. I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some of the Pharisees who had been sent uh, to question him, sorry, now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. When then, or why then, do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John said, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The strings of his sandals I am not fit or worthy to untie. I love this testimony for a few reasons, but I want to pick out one attribute of John sharing this testimony. Some of you didn't catch it was a testimony. It's the comparison of who John is and who Jesus is. There is something here to pick out. You know, when I, when I hear people, and I hate to pick on young folks. No offense, guys, come on, no offense. But I hear a lot of young folks talk about Jesus in such a passive way, just a flippant way. We're talking about Jesus Somebody, come on. When we're talking about Jesus, this isn't just some relationship. When I'm talking about my friendship with Cody, it should sound different than talking about my relationship with Jesus. There has to be some majesty and respect and humility and honor when you reference the king of the world who sits on the throne of the universe. Amen? Come on, somebody. This has got to affect us. This has got to hit us. When people talk about Jesus, and it's so casual, and he's just one of the guys, and our sin, it wasn't that big of a deal because Jesus just kind of handled it. It costs the blood of the perfect God for me to not go to hell, even though I was choosing it. I wanted it. I chose that separation. But it costs something. This is important. Let's talk about cost for a second. So cost. I remember being a young fella, and, and I grew up in a perfect home. I, man, I wish I could come up with a criticism so I could explain something, but I just came out of a perfect home. And, and my folks were so good to me. My, my mom was the church secretary and, and a banker, and, and my dad was the worship leader for many years at the church we grew up at. And the, the, everything we didn't went to every single church event there ever was. I think we never missed one, you know. And that was with four kids, so I really don't have any complaints, I don't think, with my one kid. We just were at everything, such a good home. And I was exposed to the gospel young. This is important. I have seen Christians who, like, delayed in sharing the gospel with their kids, and I was thinking, what are you thinking? Don't you know the day and age we live in? People are clouded with storms of confusion nowadays at a young age. I know because I taught preschool. When I have preschool kids coming up telling me that they can choose whether they're a boy or a girl and they can marry a boy or a girl and they can do all these different things, confusion reigns. Three-year-olds, they're indoctrinating kids. Satan is indoctrinating kids. The least that we can do, right, is share the truth of the gospel. It's okay if they're young. You can do it. So it's going to cost you something. When I was young, and I had been exposed to the gospel, I received the gospel. I think the first time I received the gospel was when I was at Emmanuel Christian Center, and I saw a play. It was Heaven's, uh, what is it, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Yeah. Scared me to death. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It wasn't just the, the scary demons. It was the fact that I knew I had sin in my life. 
It's proper repentance is what that's called. I knew there's something not right, but that guy can make it right. So simple salvation right there, 101. I knew he could make it right, so I received Jesus, and I decided something. Why would I keep this to myself? Why would I not tell people that this Jesus can do something for us that nobody else can do? And here's the truth. How much would you have to hate somebody to not tell them? I don't mean to get heavy and convicting and blasting people. I'm not into that. But really, the young Andrew understood it. I got it. This is so important. This is so mind-changing and heart-changing and revolutionary. I would have to hate somebody not to share it with them. So who did I share it with? Well, on the bus, on the school bus. Who has ever ridden a school bus here before, like as a child? The school bus is a tough missionary ground. That is some hard soil. Do you know what I mean? That is a tough place. All the foul things I ever learned in my life, I'm pretty sure it was on the school bus. I remember washing my own mouth out with soap when I came home one day. I sinned so much that day. I think I swore so much in one day. I had a headache when I went home, and it was all for the school bus. There's a tough, there's a tough mission field there. That's all I'm saying. So I was introduced to some people who had a very different lifestyle, and I knew these are some sinful teenage boys, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And I never stopped. I never stopped. I, I would preach the gospel. I would preach to these kids. I would talk to them. I would be their friend. I would do everything I could, and it cost me something. Because from a young age, people said, you're stupid. You're stupid. You believe this stuff. You're excited about that stuff. My church is boring. I hate this stuff. My church doesn't do this well or do this well. Man, people are expert complainers, aren't they? People can complain. But I was excited about Jesus and the truth of the gospel, and nobody was going to stand in my way. I would plow them over if I had to. And young Andrew got it. It cost me something. As I went into high school, it cost me something. Now, I wasn't exactly rejected by everyone because I tried to love people. And even though I went through some dark times in high school, I had to make some decisions about who I was going to be. That happens. But it cost me something. I remember leading CU at the poll, and, and we had a fantastic turnout one year. All these kids coming out, and, and I'm trying, to, trying the best I can to be this leader. And the accusations of hypocrite are flying, and people are screaming, and people are doing things to you that are disrespectful at the very least. I mean, teenagers are mean. <laughs> they can be mean. And I experienced some of that. It cost me something. And I found out that's a good thing. Persecution and costs are a good thing. And here's why. First of all, costs are relatable. Because everyone has the cost of sin in their life. Sin is costing everybody something. You could start talking to somebody about their broken family, their bo broken relationships, and you start hearing about the costs. So we can relate. Costs make you relatable. It makes you authentic. It makes a detail seem about you like, wow, you take that, you receive that persecution, it costs you something. You change your lifestyle, you quit drinking, you quit doing this, and you started doing these things that are so different to me, it must be worthwhile. Why else would you pay the costs? And ultimately, I think this is, this is what I see in Scripture. I think people start to realize, when they start to get exposure to you and who you are in Christ, they start to realize the cost of the sin is too much. I can't pay it. I can't do enough good things. I hate it when people tell me that. At work, it used to be all the time, well, I try to do this, and I do this. And people want to show you their do-goodism, right? 
Look how much good I do. I'm a social justice warrior. Look at all these things I've done. I've given money for wells in Africa. Great. Your sin is sending you to hell. You know, we would have to try to get there. And it was a hard conversation to have. But eventually people got it. My sin costs too much. And I can't pay that fee. Costs are relatable. But this is, again, my opinion. Here's my theory. Is hope is actually contagious. We know anger is contagious. We know a bad attitude is contagious. I actually believe hope is contagious. I really do. And when people start to see the hope of Jesus in you, it is contagious because people want that. They're surrounded by darkness and things that don't work and brokenness. They see that contagious hope in you, and they want it. And they know Jesus can pay that cost. Jesus can pay that cost. They should hear that in your testimony. Satan lies to us, though, and he tells us, well, they don't want to hear that, or it's weird, or they won't understand, and, and, you know, ultimately, he's wrong. They can pick out the sound of hope. Let me give you an example. Um, A while back, I was doing a funeral for a young fellow who was killed in Bram. There was a, a, a guy and a gal who were in our high school who got killed in a car accident. And uh, it's, man, this happens a lot, doesn't it? Happens a lot. People messing around, fooling around, and using substances, and they, they wind up getting killed. It's a tough funeral. Let me tell you that. It was a tough funeral. Well, right after that, uh, or prior to that, I should say, the school actually, we, we work real hard with making a relationship with our school so that it's an open place, and our superintendent, we're, we're close together, and uh, he invited the pastors to come in and do some counseling immediately after the crash really good uh, opportunity. So the pastors and counselors are there, and, and, and people are pouring in. There's a couple hundred people pouring in. And in Bram, I don't know how big this town is. How big is this town? How many people? 1,500? So Bram's like real relatable. So a couple hundred people, that's a big deal in Bram. You, fit, you wonder where everybody else is if they're there, you know. And so a couple hundred people pour in, and the ministry starts, and we start preaching and, and leading people and counseling people. And it was fantastic. Uh, and I had seen a, a fellow I know in the corner because his daughter was friends with a gal who died. They were best friends. And in fact, he was like a second father to her, genuinely, like a second father. She spent probably more time there sometimes in this last year than at her own house. And, and the whole family is a wreck, like they're a mess. They're sobbing. And it's just public, and it's, it's hard. And that little girl over there, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of am I okay to go over? Is this the right time? Or should I wait for them to come to me? And dad finally just comes over to me and he says, you got to come. You got to come talk to us because I don't know what to say to her. And man, things, things like that do get my heart pumping. I'm comfortable being in front of people. I'm comfortable speaking to people about hard things. But when you get put on the spot, do you have what it takes? Let me ask you that. Somebody came to you in that moment do you have what it takes spiritually are you ready are you prepared to encourage somebody back to life well that's the that's the threat that I felt like Lord give me what I need and I'm walking over and we start talking and then he asks the question you know what I mean he asked the question why did she die and, oh, Lord, I never answer this question. I do, I travel a little bit, and I do open forums. People can just blast me with theological questions or questions about anything in the world. There's a question I don't answer. It's the why question. Why did they die? And I have a thought, but people are never ready to receive it that close to a death. It's not a good time for theology. People are challenging God often when they ask that. Not, 
not legitimately thinking through an issue. And so normally I don't answer this, but I'll tell you the truth. This is one time out of hundreds where the Lord said, Andrew, speak. What I give you, you can speak. It's okay. Which made me more nervous. <laughs> That's harder. It's harder to know that there's something God wants. And I didn't know exactly where this was going to go. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and the gifts are working through you, you don't always have things figured out like an equation. Amen? You don't always know exactly what God's going to do. But you trust in him and you discern what is good is what is from what is good and what is best. And this was one of those times where I could discern I'm going to go with this. I'm going to start speaking, and God's going to give me the words of life for this person right now, even though I don't know what they could be because I didn't have an answer. Not this guy. Holy Spirit did, though. So in this moment, this is what God gave me. As I'm talking to him, we'll say his name was John. I said, John, look around you for a second. He kind of looks around. I said, no, really, look around you. He looks around. I said, I'm going to tell you a secret. It's not a fun secret. But everything here is cursed. And he kind of gave me some eyebrows like, this is not the most encouraging thing I've heard today. I said, everything here is cursed. Everything here is broken. There is a promise of the Bible that we will die. The question isn't why did she die. The question, John, is why must we all die? And he was like a ghost. But his little girl got it. She had been exposed to some, some uh, Christians, basically, and she got it. She knew what the answer was. This world is broken. And I'm not going to summarize the whole conversation, but it became brilliant. The Lord did amazing things. We started talking about the brokenness of the world around us and the fact that our only hope that all of us have in common is Jesus. It's amazing how you can take a crushed situation and you extract the hope out of that, and that hope is relatable. And it draws people in. When I did that funeral, I shared a little bit of that. Not all of it, but I shared a little bit of that. And that family of that boy that was sitting in the pew ahead of me, and they're bawling, and there's no hope on their face, and I can see the spiritual death sitting on them. And I start to share about the hope of Jesus. And you can't take, you, you can't fake What's going on? I'm watching it, and I just see this relatable hope, and it's amazing. And those people later gave their life with a pastor, gave their life to the Lord. And it wasn't because I went up there and said, oh, everything's going to be all right. No, it's not all right. It's because Jesus is the only hope, and that is relatable. And this man and his daughter, I, I saw awesome things with that. I'm not going to summarize the whole thing because there's lots of personal details. What I want you to get out of that why I shared that story is because that hope in the darkness is personal. I shared personal stories with him, personal connections. It's intriguing. It's not boring. If you share your gospel with somebody and you try to make it a little bit interesting, put a little flavor in there, people probably spit it out, probably forget it in five minutes. But if you share an authentic testimony of what's really gone on in your life, and your struggle against sin, and the fact that you're relatable, like you get it, it's not easy. Man, that infects people, and they don't forget it. It keeps coming back before them, and the Lord uses it. He uses it in their heart. I've had people who have come back to me seven years later, 
after sharing the gospel with him, saying, remember what you shared that time? Do you remember what you told me that time? It's still here. That's how powerful your witness is of the gospel. Jesus gave us one command as he was leaving. And I take this real seriously. Here's the deal. If it says Jesus is speaking, I take it really seriously. I want to know. That's how much I love Jesus. I want to know. Jesus, what did you say? What did you teach? And as Jesus is ascending, just right before that moment, he tells the disciples what? Go into all the world. Proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's a simple command. It's a simple command. When I used to do youth ministry, I used to make this comparison sometimes, and it's a little gritty, but I feel like you won't stone me up here because we're not in the Old Testament anymore. But <laughs> I asked the teenagers, I said, uh, who, who shaves their legs? What? I said, who shaves their legs? Okay, so the people raised their hand. I said, who shaves their face? A couple people raised their hand. A couple kids with like one whisker here, you know, real big long whisker. He's been growing out for his girlfriend, make him look tough. How, how much time do you spend in a week shaving? People are like, what does that have to do with Jesus? I said, I bet you spend more time removing unwanted hair from your own body each week than you spend a month talking to people about Jesus. And you know what? Before I preached that to them and before I preached that to you, I had to preach it to me. And man, does that burn a hole in me. <laughs> it's hard. It's true. We spend a lot of time doing little finicky things, wasting time doing things. How much time do we spend in a week or in a month leading people to Jesus? Remember that one command he gave us. Go into all the world. Proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's an important part, the good news of the gospel. Redemption from sins. A new life, born again. This is our call, church. Who's with me? Who's with me? This is our call. This is our mission. Truly, you won't change the world, but what God puts in you will. That's the truth. Can you guys stand with me before we, we close? We're going to pray a little bit. Now, I talked earlier about having majesty and honor and reference to the Lord's name and, and just showing him what he is due. And so what I'm going to ask as, as we're closing and as I pray over you, I pray that you would talk to the Lord about this. I bet there are people in your life who don't know Jesus. I bet there are people in your life who are lost, and I mean hopelessly lost, without Jesus. And I want to challenge you. Spend more time this month preaching Jesus, showing Jesus, making it relatable, personal, intriguing. Spend more time in that than you do in your hobbies, than you do taking care of yourself. That's my challenge. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just worship you. You are the good God the scripture reveals. You love us with an eternal love. You care about us, Lord. You know about our broken nature and the fact that we're fighting this sin deal, but you gave us a testimony of freedom and redemption from sin. And the world needs to hear it. Jesus, the world needs to hear it. I just pray right now over this church and the people who love you. Help us, God, with our fear. Sometimes it's scary, Lord. It could be scary to share this stuff. Sometimes we go so far outside of our comfort zone, we don't know what's going to happen, and we realize it's going to cost us something. 
So I ask, Lord, if somebody's worried about the cost today, I pray they would remember the payment. Jesus, remember the payment that you paid, and it's worth it. We've added up the cost, and it's worth it, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person here. They've got a person in their mind right now who doesn't know you. I pray it would become their mission. I pray that they would start to develop a witness. They would start to put together something in their mind of how they can effectively reach someone for your kingdom and for eternity. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give them discernment and guidance and direction and tactfulness, Lord, in sharing that good news. Help us be brave, Lord. We need it so much. Help us be brave. Help us love like you said. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that as we love you and we pursue you, it would cause us to seek out the hurting and the lost. To seek and save, Jesus. That is our prayer. That is the mission you gave us. Jesus, we worship you.